It's Lewis and Megan, your favorite academics in training. I am Lewis Pubrick. I'm Megan Yapchungo. And welcome back to another episode of the Yakademia podcast. Yay! We are officially out of our quarantine series now. We were last time. We are going to continue not doing that. Uh, So we will be very light on the COVID news because frankly, nobody gives a shit anymore because everybody's dealing with it. (laughs) It's not fun anymore, as we said last time. And uh, I don't know, Megan, do you have any announcements or anything? Next. Oh, wait, no. No, I was going to say next week is Shark Week. By the time this comes out, it's not going to be Shark Week anymore. It's true. This really dates the... (laughs) Then just say, say, last week was Shark Week. (laughs) Last week was Shark Week. Wasn't it great? In case you needed... Look at all those sharks. One drop of serotonin. Log into Shark Week that happened. You know what my favorite part was? The part with the sharks doing those things. I really liked the week. (laughs) Actually, it'd be two weeks. So two weeks ago was Shark Week. Yeah, two weeks ago was Shark Week. The best week of the year. And we can only... What if something like crazy happens during Shark Week? And we're sitting here thinking like, oh yeah, it was great. Insert in favorite part. And like, it just blows up everything. I'm 99.9% sure that a shark is going to cure COVID next week. Actually, I will ask our guest very quickly. If if something crazy happens at Shark Week, we are going to re-record this intro. Um, so any shark news trumps whatever we're talking about now. Well, here's our awesome backward segue. Today on the show, we have a good friend of ours, Tom Franzim. He is a PhD student at the University of Alabama, where he studies uh, insect communities and grasslands. And so we will be talking a little bit more about that later in the show. But for now, welcome, Tom. Hey, how's it going, guys? Pretty good. Hanging in there. <laughs> Glad to be here. Finally, we uh, were able to get this scheduled and uh, going. Yeah, yeah. It's been a bit of a trip, but <laughs> we got there. Had quite a few obstacles on our way. There's the pandemic stood in our way, <laughs> yeah. outages, scheduling conflicts. Yep, yeah, yeah, but it's it's making it all the more special, though, you know? Yeah. There are some other ones we recorded, no problems, not as good. Yeah. <laughs> no, just kidding. There, we, we love all of them. This has to be gold now. Yeah, 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 exactly. Seeing as I sent the meeting invitation out today and then had to run because I forgot that I sent the meeting invitation out today, I think it's going to be a fantastic interview. <laughs> what are you talking I'm, about? We I'm, are a very professional organization. Yeah, <laughs> I am nothing but a professional here at the Yakademia podcast. <laughs> not to mention that they, I, I'm not exaggerating when I say, I'm pretty sure they're doing like planned demolition right outside of my building right now. It's like could not be more hectic. Anyhow, so yeah, we'll get back into the specifics of your research. But I do know that you have both in your work and in your personal life, a lot of bugs going around, right? A lot of insects. Do you have pinned insects at home? Well, I have uh, tons of pinned insects at home, more yeah. than I know what to do with them. <laughs> I had to actually kind of stop myself this summer from a uh, collecting too much because otherwise I would have been up to my neck in it. I have insects in my freezer from like a year ago that I haven't pinned yet. It just constantly accumulates, right? What are you supposed to do with like old ones? Yeah, so I I mean ideally it's supposed to be well kept and properly identified so that it's a good reference and you know educate myself and learn insect taxonomy. And it it is kind of fun to go back and look at the ones you know from the start of my collection uh, because there are some that are really poorly pinned and like... Can you like could you tell if you didn't know like if you were a third party and you came in would you be able to like roughly like okay these are maybe pinned later than these other ones? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, I, I certainly see it in my own work just because it's, you know, some of them are, you could tell I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool though to see the progression. Like I have some like butterflies and moths that I pinned early on that look like trash. Now I have like a really nice display of like super cool moths that turned out really well. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely fun to see the progression, but it's also hard to stop myself from uh, collecting too much because <laughs> I'm a collector at heart. When did you start? Um, Right after, I started keeping collection right after I graduated undergrad. I, 
I started collecting insects that summer mm-hmm. um, just because I had nothing to do when insects were around. Yeah. <laughs> I figured this was a good idea. So yeah. did you did you study insects in your undergrad? Like what came first, the collections of the work or? I didn't really study insects in undergrad. Um, I took a stream ecology course that had some insect stuff in it, but not really. Um, and then I, I didn't really do any insect work uh, until I kind of started to learn myself. Again, just because I was bored and had a lot of free time on my hands that summer after I graduated. Yeah. Insects are literally everywhere. So it was an <laughs> easy thing to keep me occupied. So did the like collecting like prompt you to apply to the lab that you're in? I guess were you like interested in insects? Were you interested in more like community structure first and then? Good question. I don't know if I really know. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I just generally knew I liked ecology and I liked being outside and doing field work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm a field ecologist at heart. So I, I was looking for something that was really heavily field based. And I, at the time I was applying for stuff, I'd kind of learned insects enough where I thought I was confident enough to be able to do a project on them. Mm-hmm. So I was looking for insect projects and I, you know, I kind of fell in love with them too. They're gorgeous. So just kind of the cards all aligned right. And uh, I ended up yeah. getting a PhD uh, with insects. Yeah. I, um, so I like TA inverts. And so whenever it comes to like the insect portion, like I always feel like I can't do it justice because I'm such like a marine invert person which is like where most of the inverts live. Well, not most of them because insects exist, but a lot of them <laughs> like, and then we get to the insects and I'm like, butterfly, lepidoptera. <laughs> like, I like probably, I do not do them any justice because I feel like that's what most kids who take inverts are like, oh, cool. We're going to learn about bugs. And I'm like, I look at the sea cucumber. <laughs> They're like, oh, like, <laughs> Well, I think they recently redid like some of the insect systematics or something. So it's like insects are now considered crustaceans or like a branch of of crustaceans. So technically they're just like land sea inverts. I don't know. Dang. (laughs) Oh, that's just like egg in everybody's face because we spend as biologists a lot of time being like, oh, it's actually, it's not an insect. It's a crustacean. Like to talk about like pill bugs or whatever. And now it like doesn't even matter. God damn it. (laughs) Well, they're all arthropods. That's true. That's true. So I know for your work, at least when I came and visited your lab for a video, which we can link to when this episode comes out. So I know you do a lot of work with beetles, right? Specifically like carabids and scarabs, scarabids, (laughs) scarabids, I don't know the right term. (laughs) Like in your own collections, what are you typically like looking out for? Like, do you have favorites that aren't those or are those your favorites or? I I tend to go for beetles overall just because like that's what I do. So, you know, it's easier for me to keep a good collection of them. But I really like wasps also. I've been getting some cool wasps recently. You know, if I see a good butterfly or moth that I don't have, I'll try to get it, but they can be kind of hard to catch. So Mm -hmm. Uh, unless I'm really feeling into it, I'm not going to chase them down. So how much is like looking out for specific ones that you don't have versus like, do you have multiples of different ones or like? Usually, um, sometimes like if there's, if I have one that I collected like really early on, that's you know not really uh, pinned well, like, you know, it, just, it doesn't look good. Then I'll try to get a replacement to have a, a good voucher specimen. But yeah, generally I don't collect anymore if I already have it. Every once in a while, I'll have a specific one in mind where I'm like, I want that and I'll go out and look for it till I get it. Yeah, I know um, when I visited your lab, I cannot even express how many beetles you have in your lab. I mean, it is like jars and jars and jars and jars and jars. <laughs> and you were like pulling out all drawers of every single cabinet in the lab and they're all just like stocked full. So yeah, we'll get back to why you're doing that. Um, but so, I, oh, you go ahead. Oh, sorry. I have just have like a like an insect related question. Oh yeah. What is your favorite like application of insects because you know like you can like grind up beetles and they make colors or like 
jewelry or like sometimes they're in popsicles like so wait do you, do you not you mean not like an ecological yeah like, no like like just like like for funsy stuff like you know oh for funsy stuff like human applications things that people use insects for right um i don't know just like insectivory i think is pretty cool like eating insects i personally haven't eaten any insects but you know you can make like cricket flour and stuff yeah mm. that's a actually pretty good way to uh, address some world hunger issues mm-hmm. People eat more insects, but the grinding of beetles is actually—I haven't—I actually never heard of that grinding them up to make pigment. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. it's like one of the one of the red, it's like red forty. Red. One of the one of the, like the red color numbers is like yeah. So speaking <laughs> of which, I mean, you said that you kind of didn't really start this collection stuff until you know after your undergrad. But like, what kind of a kid were you? Were you exploring outside or not really? Or like, was that something that came kind of late? Or I was definitely an outdoorsy kid. Uh, my parents were really into like hiking and camping, so they you know they got me and my siblings outside a lot. Um, so that certainly helped me transition to be like a you know field ecologist later in life. And you're from a great place for hiking and exploring outside, right? Uh, I lived in, in lower New York, but like not like the city. So it's it was like a stone's throw away from some pretty good hiking in the Catskills and the Adirondacks. So definitely a lot of good outdoor exposure there. Uh, my childhood home had a lot of like expansive gardens and stuff. So there was a lot of cool stuff to explore in there. And, you know, just playing around out in the mud all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how, how do you think like in doing that, like, did you ever put together that like, oh, this is something that could be turned into a career or like at what point did you realize that biology could be a thing that you could do? Uh, pretty late in the game, honestly. I, I didn't realize that biology or like field biology in the way that I know it, I didn't realize that was a thing until I was a junior in college. So I was really late in the game on that. Yeah. Like my early career aspirations was to be like a film director. And I still am interested in film, but you know, mm-hmm. I did like a year or two of that in college and I, it wasn't working for me. And I, I decided to switch to biology kind of on a whim I, I, could, yeah, I could i don't know i could probably be a doctor or something i don't know like medical doctor and i started taking biology courses and i realized that there were a lot more options out there and specifically i could just go outside in the woods and you know play in the mud like i've been doing my whole life and get paid mm. for it. yeah it's a it's a pretty sweet deal if you can swing it yeah what kind of um film are you interested in favorite genre or anything like that? I don't know. I'm kind of all over the board. Uh, recently, my roommates and I have all been watching horror movies uh, pretty much every night. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I guess we're, I'm pretty deep in that genre right now. Yeah. Oh, man. I, ugh, ugh. Lewis, <laughs> I can't. Lewis can't do scary movies. <laughs> I'm the type of, seriously, I'm the type of person, if I'm like hanging out with a bunch of friends and they're like, all right, tonight is the night. We're going to watch a scary movie. I'm like, I'm going to go. And then I leave. With I some love very, scary movies. very, very limited exceptions. Do you have a favorite that you guys have watched so far? Uh, my all-time favorite is Friday the 13th, part four, the final chapter. Mostly because it's the final chapter, but there's eight more movies afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> Are there really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen, like, actually seen any Friday the 13th movie. Start like... with part four. It's the best one. <laughs> start with the final chapter start with the final chapter <laughs> and then work your way back and then forward again <laughs> we've watched most of them uh, during our movie nights and i've made them watch it out of order because it's the best way to watch it yeah. <laughs> because like they, they don't put the effort into making them consistent because like they weren't trying to they were just like pumping out movies so it's really fun to watch them out of order and just like you slowly get like the overarching plot because there is kind of mm-hmm. one but like they weren't going for it so it's just it's a blast i really enjoy it <laughs> So, so is mostly what you guys are watching like older or, or like, are you mixing in some like modern ones or is it mostly kind of like classics? It's a pretty good spread. We, we've done a lot of the classics, but we've watched more recent stuff also. I just watched Midsummer. That was good. We saw that one. Super good. And it's like not necessarily scary. It's just like, I guess, trippy. I don't know. Not it gets even really trippy. intense like halfway through. Yeah, it gets really intense and you're just like, oh, okay. 
<laughs> but it was really good. I would recommend. <laughs> if we could recommend it to the listeners, you could have recommended it to Tom, but not me. <laughs> it's not scary, Lewis. It's not no, scary. No, I don't believe you. Because the problem is, is that people like love horror movies. And they're like, it's not that scary. And it's their bar is way different than mine is. <laughs> like sometimes somebody will like send me even just like a video and they'll be like, hey, watch this. And I'll be like, is it scary? <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to open it if it's scary. You have a Ouija board, right, Tom? Uh, I think, yeah, Brian does. Uh, yeah. I think Brian and I did it one time and nothing happened. Your house is haunted? No? Okay. <laughs> well, speaking of paranormal slash interesting things, we did notice one, uh, one thing I think listed in your interests outside of academia. You have a long list of things which we can get into. However, one of, one of them really caught our eyes, which is UFO conspiracy theories. Yep. So I am very interested to hear what you have to say about that. Well, I mean... There's definitely UFOs. I don't know if they're aliens, but uh, long story short, the government is essentially gaslighting people or was gaslighting people in like the 60s, 70s, and 80s into thinking uh, aliens were coming. So you, so, okay, wait, <laughs> we got to, we got to start from the ground up. Okay. <laughs> so you, so you mean literally the definition of UFO, you mean things that are unidentified. Yep. So you're talking like, yeah, about like weird military planes and shit that like nobody knew what they were. More or less. Yeah. I mean, the paranoia in the 60s and 70s was so high that, you know, they were doing a lot of weird new technology stuff. So Mm -hmm. people were seeing stuff and didn't know how to explain it. And then, you know, someone said aliens and it just kind of caught on. And then it's interesting that as the Cold War escalated, this is steering into more of reality than conspiracy. As Mm -hmm. the Cold War escalated, you got like, you know, UFO conspiracy groups and, you know, they're trying to like find the truth. And the truth was a lot of it was like secret government projects and the government was like, oh, wait, we can't let this be like unveiled. So they perpetuated the, uh, the notion that aliens exist. They leaned into it. <laughs> yeah. So that people would think that, you know, the people saying this stuff, they're crazy. They don't know what they're talking about. That's like, like what happened in Roswell, correct? Unidentified orbs. I don't remember what the plane was, but. Uh, I forget. Well, it was like a weather balloon. It wasn't a weather balloon. It was like, uh... I should have brushed up on this before I came on. <laughs> you didn't know you're going to be quizzed. I think it was like Operation Mogul or something, and it was like a high altitude thing to detect whether or not the Soviets were testing nuclear weapons. That's what it was. Yeah, it did crash, and it like it did exist and did crash, and it was secret. So people mm-hmm. found it and they covered it up because they didn't want word getting out about it. Yeah, and kind of later on, the alien thing caught on. It's one specific story, and I can't remember this guy's name, uh, but it was in the '80s, and he was like a NASA. Like, he worked on, like, electronics for NASA. Like, so we had, like, a cool, like, setup of, you know, different radio monitoring stuff. He lived near an air base out in, like, Nevada. Mm-hmm. So he started picking up weird signals, and he brought it to the Air Force. Like, hey, guys, I don't know what this is. Like, you might be interested in it. And it turned out he was picking up, like, top-secret government chatter on his radio stuff. Oh, God. Shit, we can't let this guy uh, go out doing this. So what they did was they said, yeah, dude, this is aliens. And then he believed it because the government was saying that he found aliens. Yeah. So he basically went insane looking for aliens. Then. Oh, my gosh. They ruined this guy's life, essentially. Couldn't just give him, like, a, a gold star and a cookie and be like, all right, shut up, please. Yeah, they could have <laughs> said, just like, hey, man, just uh, keep this under your hat. But <laughs> Yeah. I When I was little, I have a, I don't know, it's somewhere in my, my room at my parents' house unless they threw it out. I had like a little, I guess, X-Files identification thing that said like alien hunter or something. And it had like literally like a little like Polaroid picture of me. And I was like, yeah, like it was like alien something special or something like that. I don't know. My dad works uh, for a lab in California and Livermore. And he had to go out to New Mexico. He's been to the Nevada test site. And so like he brought back some like alien thing like that they have just in the desert. Just, you know, desert people who like lead into the alien tours. 
Buddhism's kid. And so I have that <laughs> from youth. <laughs> why is it always the, is it just because that's where a lot of like testing goes on just because it's the desert? Like, why is it always the desert? I'm 99.9% .9 sure that I saw an alien in the Mojave Desert. It was an alien or a ghost. I'm convinced. Not a cactus. Um, I don't know if it was an alien, but I did see a UFO. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, literally, like I was... It was my best friend and I were driving from California to Alabama before we all started grad school. And like I was driving to Alabama. It was the middle of the night. I was in the Mojave Desert. And both of us were just like, what the fuck is that? And then like we just kept driving and we're like, did we just see? Like, what? So it's either ghost, alien, UFO, something. Time loop. Don't. Have you seen what's that movie that just came out? Palm Springs? No, a, I'm too all, afraid of time loops. I've heard whole, I haven't seen it though. It's very good. But yeah, it's about time loops. And I thought of you, Megan, the whole time. Um, Tom, yeah. I've been in a time loop. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> I woke up one time six times and it was like 6.56 a.m. I swear to God, I was in a time loop and I was just like, oh my God, it's not stopping. And then I exited the time loop and now I'm perpetually afraid of being in a time loop again. <laughs> and you, know, you don't want to have a, a Bill Murray situation. And end exactly. Up <laughs> Wait, Megan, I, I don't remember if it was you and me talking about this, but we were talking about how much you have to kind of qualify what you say when you're like, when people are like, oh, do you believe in aliens? Because I'm like, yes, but maybe not the way that you're asking it. Yeah. You know, in terms of like, like life on little, other planets. Little gray know. bodies. They're like ET phone home. Like yeah. probably not. But do I believe seem, in life on the other planet? Because yeah. yeah. those seem like the same thing, yeah. but they are very different things, I think. Yeah. So where do you stand on that continuum? Definitely life on other planets or out there in the universe somewhere. I doubt it's visited Earth. Um, yeah. yeah. That is cool, but like probably not. I love all the like ancient alien shit because it's like just white people who don't think that non... If like, oh, we didn't make pyramids, so no one else could. It must be aliens. Oh, yeah. It's like super racist, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a kind of a crackpot theory I know. I, I learned from my anthropology class that was like basically people coming to like Mesoamerica and realizing mm -hmm. I think it was the Mayans had this like super crazy like awesome advanced writing system and they were basically like these have to be related to egyptian hieroglyphics because there's no way that they could have like done this on their own and it was like just racism like it just yeah. wasn't yeah i always find it funny when like they're like how could they move this block of stone up like that would be really hard it's like yeah it probably took a lot of guys like i don't know it's like <laughs> probably people... was hard yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah and also like your failure to imagine a way that it could be done does not mean that it could not be done so um, so do you have a favorite conspiracy theory? Like not necessarily Doesn't have not necessarily aliens. one that you believe in, but one that you just appreciate exists. There's one pretty well documented UFO scare from the 60s where like it was at like Washington DC, like one of the airports around there picked up like a bunch of weird stuff on their radar several nights in a row. Mm -hmm. Like there was this huge panic about it and then it ended up being like nothing. But I mean people were convinced that aliens were attacking the United States Capitol for a while. Just like the the crazy levels of like paranoia and insanity is very amusing to me <laughs> mostly because like definitely wasn't aliens but you know for those people it it, they thought it was aliens so that was like their reality then yeah it's just like a cool you know cool mindset to uh, try to imagine yeah can i just like point out though that like i don't think that it has happened and i don't think that it will happen at least not for a very long time but if it ever did happen wouldn't it be 2020 like wouldn't that just be the icing on the fucking cake you know what i mean now of, there's like, aliens yeah exactly <laughs> yeah i think my my favorite conspiracy theory which is not a serious one is one that was invented by john oliver where he thinks that uh mary kate and ashley olsen are actually one person moving back and forth very fast. <laughs> <laughs> Conspiracy are the best.
I want to invent one one day. Probably not that hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess I could just say anything, and that would be a conspiracy. We need to invent one right now for the purpose of this episode. You okay, could just so... do like Mad Lib style, like okay, okay but yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll, okay, I'll pick. I'll pick like the broad topic, and then we'll kind of narrow it down. Okay, so the okay. broad topic it's going to be something about the weather. Okay. okay, now now Megan, you narrow it down a little bit, and then Tom, you're the clincher. Okay, what can you say about the weather? The weather, I'm going to say that wind is not a real natural phenomenon. Okay, so what could be causing wind then, Tom? <laughs> um, all right, the Knights Templar, <laughs> they have survived through the ages. <laughs> starting in the 1700s, they've been working on a wind machine. Uh, it started out kind of, you know, analog, it's gotten better. But essentially, <laughs> they've created the phenomenon of wind to cover up their uh, shady activities. So like, you know, have a wind blow, so, like, it'll kind of, like, shift sand and dirt to cover up, like, <laughs> So, wait, is part of this conspiracy theory that wind did not exist before the 1700s? Because I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no record of wind. Change the historical record. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Well, you heard it here, folks. Uh, wind isn't real. Wind is not real. <coughs> oh, sorry. God, Lewis, shut up. So you mentioned the segue of all segues, which is not a segue at all. You mentioned when you were a kid, like kind of growing up and you had like big garden and all that kind of stuff. Are you able to do any of that here or not really? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I have I have some stuff at my house right now. Um, mm. you know, it's, it's tiny, but it keeps, keeps me occupied. <laughs> yeah. Tomatoes and jalapeno peppers and whatnot. You guys have been planting a lot of like natives and stuff like that to help with pollinators, correct? We're, we're planning on doing that next year, but we've uh, mostly just been doing like some food stuff okay. recently. Do you want to talk a little bit? That's a really good point. Do you want to talk about why planting natives is important and I don't know why people have not been doing that? Um, well, it kind of ties back to what I was saying before about beetles and finding them where a lot of them have pretty specific plant interactions. Mm -hmm. So a lot of insects have very specific plant interactions. So, you know, they're highly evolved, like co-evolved with the plants in a particular uh, region. So, you know, when you get people coming in, plopping a city down in the middle of some place and they, you know, change the landscape, they make monoculture lawns, those plants aren't there anymore. Uh, the plants that historically occurred there aren't there anymore. And then the insects that rely on those plants aren't able to survive and reproduce and do all their fun insect stuff. Mm -hmm. And yeah, a lot of the reason people don't plant native stuff is because they prefer the ornamental exotic stuff that's all showy. Mm. Yeah, so that's what you're like buying in the nursery part of like Home Depot or whatever. Like sometimes they have they have native stuff, but a lot of times it's like from Australia or something. Yeah, because I think like a big issue with that, I guess, I don't know if it's like capitalism or, or what, because traditionally lawns... Conspiracy were, theory. Okay. Conspiracy theory. No, I mean, because I mean, like, traditionally lawns were a, a sign of status, right? Like you have a nice like manicured lawn. And I don't know if that came from like England because they have all those like topiary garden things that they do outside their castles and shit. But I'm just like, you know, you can get in trouble in the u.s with like hoa like the homeowners association yeah, for if like have... if your lawn is like overgrown or something like that or if you're growing natives that are kind of like they look overgrown which i think looks like really pretty but it's better for the natural environment than like a manicured lawn with grass that's not native to any land if there's any takeaway from this episode it is death to the american lawn aesthetic yeah you know what <laughs> yeah, yeah. big lawn wants you to have a manicured lawn and we're here to tell you no <laughs> So it's rotten with the fucking world. It also blows me away because like, I mean, and uh, Tom, you probably know about this working in like grasslands and stuff, but the whole point of grass is that it grows back very fast after grazing. So like you're purposely planting a thing that is physiologically designed to aggravate the crap out of you and make you mow it down every time. <laughs> Whereas like if you were to like, I don't know, plant clover, they don't have to do shit because it doesn't grow up because that's not the point of the plant. And mm -hmm. they're like supporting their soil health and things like that. It doesn't make any sense. 
wake yeah. up america yeah and a lot of um cool kind of forest reclamation things like that where like my boss for instance they bought a house and they have a lot of land that they have to like keep maintained and there's like a big section that was like clear cut for not really a good reason and so yeah they're just like designating that as like okay that's just gonna become a forest again i don't have anything to compare it to necessarily but it seems like your average person has maybe a better understanding of that or a better you know than maybe before yeah, the message is getting out there it's just taking a bit of time yeah but i mean i guess that's where like local community outreach becomes like very important which is like i mean you are currently the mr presidento correct of presidento is not a word no. i don't know why i said that what a You're segue mr. what a segue well we invented a, a conspiracy theory we invented a word we're... i invented a word <laughs> Of um, yeah, at the next your next over. meeting, you're like, please refer to me as the presidento. <laughs> you have taken over for Maddie as the president of the conservation club here at the University of Alabama, and you've been very proactive in your community outreach. Like, what kind of things? I mean, I know, but I mean, for the <laughs> listeners, what kind of we're things? We're gonna pretend you like we don't. Uh, mostly just uh, writing a lot of letters to local government. I, I, that kind of started as a joke because, like, I used to tell people jokingly, like when they complain about something, like, oh, go write an angry letter about it. <laughs> and I was like, wait a second, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I can actually do this. So, uh, you know, recently we've uh, written letters just about like general environmental concerns, like, you know, litter and things like that. And we got more specific recently with like water quality and uh, specifically in Tuscaloosa, they spray pesticides all over the place for mosquito control. And I, I don't like that, obviously, as an insect guy. Mm-hmm. So I wrote, I wrote them a letter about that. So all, all that sort of stuff. We had bigger plans before the pandemic, but things yeah. got shifted around a bit. Yeah, there's actually one plan that I want to talk about specifically. By the way, I sorry, I just got a t- tornado warning. Um, so I might have to go. I'll just do this right now. Yeah, there's one kind of plan that I did want to talk about. In We were talking about like, you know, forest reclamation, stuff like that. But occasionally you got to uh, burn it to the ground. We have a field station or, a, a, you know, a plot of land at the University of Alabama that they were going to do a burn. So yeah, do you want to talk about what does that do? And why is it a good thing in certain cases? Um, yeah, I mean, for the right ecosystem, you know, fire is a natural part of the landscape. The plants and animals there are like fire adapted. So, you know, there's some plants that their seeds won't germinate unless a fire rips through it. Uh, a lot of it's also just keeping it in like the right successional state. Um, you know, like grasslands are early successional. So, you know, if you don't have fire regu- regularly, then you'll get a lot of woody encroachment and then it'll stop being a grassland because it'll, it'll be full of trees. So, yeah, fire, especially in the southeast, is a big part of the ecosystem and same in the west coast. Sorry, my, my lights keep flickering, so I might drop out uh, in a second. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so do you want to talk about a little bit about your the actual research that you're doing? Uh, I understand that, like you said, with the the fire stuff, that grasslands, especially in the southeast, are kind of like a, are they vulnerable or are they just like shrinking or I don't know what the term is, but they're... Yeah, I mean, they're definitely severely degraded because, you know, when uh, Europeans started colonizing the area, grasslands were pretty easy to convert to agriculture because they're, you know, just open spaces with pretty rich soil. Uh, So a lot of it was converted to agriculture pretty early on and like farmed intensively. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that degraded a lot of habitat. And then, you know, on top of that, as people started moving the area, they would suppress fires. So you don't have that natural disturbance coming through and then you know moving to more modern times you know cities are springing up all over the place all that urbanization just kind of uh, degrades it even further so in the southeast i mean pretty much like 99.9 percent of historic grasslands are uh, severely degraded or gone entirely mm-hmm. there's still some out there and there's recently been some uh, conservation effort and restoration effort from different groups in mississippi and alabama that's certainly helping but it's it's a rapidly degrading ecosystem unfortunately yeah and it, so oh go ahead no no i think we're gonna ask the same question <laughs> yeah, i was gonna say so yeah 
Jazz, what do uh, how do insects fit into, and especially the beetles that you study, um, how do they fit into this whole picture? Yeah, so uh, insects are, uh, especially in grasslands, they're really ecologically influential. So they have a lot of different ecological like roles. Um, you know, they're tritivores, they're herbivores, they're predators, they're uh, xylophagists, um, you know, they're granivores. So, you know, you know, their different feeding activities can change the plant community, can change the way that nutrients move through the system. They create disturbance, you know, when they burrow in the ground and stuff. Uh, they translocate nutrients. They do all these different roles. And on top of that, they're also the primary food source for most birds and a lot of mammals and reptiles. So, you know, basically the food web depends on them. And so what is your specific research looking at within this context? Uh, so the, what I've been mostly working on is seeing how different restoration techniques and habitat features influence the occupancy of these, of the beetles I'm looking at, uh, occupancy and diversity. So we're looking to see how, you know, uh, burn frequency, for example, you know, if that's associated with the higher occupancy of, you know, certain types of beetles, mm -hmm. and if that influences the, you know, taxonomic diversity of different beetle families. Do you have any other questions, Lewis, before you uh, have tornado? lose power and die. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I do. <laughs> I think that um, was a good explanation of... <laughs> yeah, that was... Yeah. yeah. I guess it probably nailed that elevator pitch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like year three of the PhD. It's like, I got this down now. Yeah, exactly. say. <laughs> yeah. I think we accomplished a lot. Yeah. We came up with a conspiracy theory. We came up with a word. We learned about yeah. some bugs. Yeah, exactly. I learned um, that bugs are crustaceans. Yeah. And watch, that's going to swing back the other direction in like 10 years. Years, who knows yeah but, it could be tomorrow yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> taxonomy man <laughs> well awesome thank you so much for coming on the show uh, this is great and thank you oh my gosh <laughs> i'm just like i'm just like i just want to lose at this point like stop flickering so uh, i'll get this out quick thank you all for listening to another episode of the academia podcast i am lewis bubrick i'm megan yap chungo and i'm tom franzen <laughs> <laughs> And if you want to uh, contact us or you want to see information about new episodes uh, as we kind of uh, tease the new ones that come up, you can follow us at The Academia Show on Twitter. And you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, things like that. If you are on a platform that allows you to give us a review, we would greatly appreciate that. And also... I, that's it. I don't know why I said also. Do I got a plug in here? Can I, uh, can I yeah, go ahead. Yes. Uh, yes. Well, first off, watch that video I did with Lewis. And if we're linking that in the show description. Yeah, totally. Uh, we also didn't get to this, but I've been working on a comic book that I'm drawing with my girlfriend. Uh, on Instagram. So that's, uh, check out that Instagram. It's called Astronaut Comic on Instagram. Yeah, so we, uh, we got some more material coming out. We only have a few things on there right now. but I'm looking at it right now. Oh, yeah. We're going to we're gonna link that. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, we'll link that. I'll let you guys know if I survive. Uh, All right. <laughs> good luck. All right. I'm, I'm going to go and make sure that Roz is not freaking out. All right. She probably doesn't care. But <laughs> <laughs> All right.